Okay, everybody, we're now on the last chapter. And basically what I'm going to do is kind of give a quick run through of it and then have a second part with my wife on here um, and kind of wrap up the whole book, kind of ask her what she enjoyed about it, some of her thoughts, and then we'll be all done. Um, I've really enjoyed this book. I have done some reading in this subject, broadly speaking, on, you know, parent parenting and uh, children and marriage. Not as much as a lot have, but um, whether it's Beaky or the few things I've read from Doug Wilson or uh, Paul Tripp, uh, you know, any, anybody living today, I would say that Bob Inc., this work, the Christian family, is better, uh, at least in what it does, and addressing the Christian family and kind of giving the theological, but also just the sort of creational, natural norms, uh, lay, laying that out and giving a robust picture of that, and then dealing with the nitty-gritty practical uh, matters of it to some degree, not that he fleshes out every detail but does give some um, elaboration especially in his life at that point and transition point in the 19 teens late 19 teens 1920 or so when he's writing uh, it, it's just a really good book and for our time now 100 plus years later it's super timely and uh, I recommend every Christian married or not with children or not that you read it so this final chapter is um, it's a good one. It's on the future of the family and talks about changes in the family. And he says, indeed, there are many phenomena indicating that the ancient patriarchal family is undergoing a severe crisis and an important reformation. Uh, the family used to be stronger, uh, more self-sufficient. Um, uh, it would include husband and wife, parents and children, male and female slaves, house and land, sometimes even grandparents and grandchildren and that constituted the home and the family. At the head of the family stood the father who was master of everyone and everything. That is not to say that wife and children were his property in the same sense as his slaves and his livestock, his house or his garden, but the man was nevertheless the head, the master, the owner, and the maintainer of the great entity of the family. In earliest times, when there was yet no state or church, he was king and priest, lawgiver and judge in his home. Um... The, the greatest blessing of the property and everything else would go to the oldest, the firstborn son. Uh, and he would kind of take the place of the father to some extent. The, the, you know, the land would not be um, divided up and divvied out or sold or, or whatever, ordinarily. But those are bygone days, basically, is what Bob Mink is saying, even at the end of his life here. Um, gradually, these rights of the family became limited through the state or the church, through government and jurisprudence, but in various countries the ancient situation still continues in this form, such that the inheritance of the family property of the family house and land is transferred only to the eldest son, while the younger brothers and sisters must be satisfied with a small distribution and must provide for themselves. Um, it is about the development of society. You know, he says in previous times, you sort of provided your own way 
much more um, <clears throat> thoroughly your food and drink, clothing, uh, furnishings, and all of that. Um, people went to the city or to the market at most several times a year to purchase some housekeeping goods and tools. Nowadays, baking and cooking, weaving and tailoring, the work of carpentry and masonry have all become independent enterprises. Now, I do want to say a couple things. Um, you do have this division as early as, you know, um, mentioned in the Bible, in some sense, as early as Cain and Abel, and after that, Seth and, and the children from Cain. So, it, you know, it's not as if there isn't specialization always to some degree or another. Um, but if you were a, uh, let's say you were a carpenter, um, you worked with wood back in the 1700s, I mean, you were still doing a lot of other things as well. And uh, again, just more self-sufficient certainly what it, it seems like you know everybody had more land did some basic if you want to call it farming or you know at least working the land their own land and providing for themselves and making things for themselves and, and planting things and uh, doing that sort of thing and not just doing it as a hobby but doing it to some extent as if not a necessity, in some cases it certainly would have been a necessity, but certainly something that was a, um, it was significant. It saved money, it gave them food, it, when transportation wasn't as, as easy or as frequent, um, it really probably was more of a necessity. But modernization, technology, transportation, um, the city life, all this has changed that dramatically how much more now than it was even a hundred years ago in Bavink's day. Uh, Bavink talks about how personal inheritance, inheritance is a thing of the past. Thousands of families have completely lost touch with any experience of owning property and of property rights. They live permanently in rented dwellings and they relocate frequently. Think about that. He's right. He's saying this over a hundred years ago and, and that's so much more an issue today, I would have to imagine, than it was even then. Uh, their children have to leave home at an early age to get training for a job, uh, to earn their own living. And so you don't even have family business or family trades, you know, passed down from one generation to another. Our society and our families are much more fluid. And so those bonds are weaker because they're less necessary from the standpoint of literal having food to eat and clothing to wear so that you can survive and make it. But the side effect has been you've also lost those healthy bonds with family, with a community, with a local church that you stay at most of your whole life, etc., etc. And so again, I don't think the future is, is going, get rid of, uh, getting rid of all technology, but the future has to be more rooted and seeing the value of community, even if we're at a point where we don't have to have it that much. I mean, you can have everything ordered to your home through Amazon or pizza deliveries or whatever and work on a computer and, and survive. Well, there's some people who, who still have to you know, butcher uh, the meat 
and cook, uh, well, yeah, cook the food, uh, grow the crops, make the clothing. There are, there are still those who have to be hands-on and maybe someday we'll get to a point where all this stuff is done with such precise robots that as long as we're able to keep the robots going properly, um, we won't have to do any of this ourselves again. But the question is, is that better? Is that a real freedom to not even know how to do that on your own anymore or to be too afraid to do it or to despise it and then to lose that connection with God's creation itself, with nature itself to that degree, to dehumanize it, to, to disrupt and deconstruct and, and, and tear apart communities to such a degree that we're all so self-insulated that... Um, yeah, we're just pleasuring ourselves in, in the privacy of our own homes without even hardly, hardly even walking outside. Uh, you know, that's it's actually a, a nightmare, a terrifying thought when we really think about it. This is an interesting quote from Bob Inc. He says, It has been said, not without justification, that the countryside is the natural sphere of the family, but the city is the natural enemy of the family. I don't know what, this, what that makes the suburbs, which I guess is what I'm in, something in between purgatory of the family or something. Um, you know, I feel the weight of that. I, 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 I came to Florida wanting to get a fair chunk of land and a decent fenced-in yard so that my kids could play in, so that you could have some privacy. I wasn't really looking for one of these six feet completely, you know, private fences where you can't see anybody and you never talk to anybody, but something to keep my kids in so they're not running out into the streets or into the neighbor's yard so that no dogs are harassing them. You know, the typical suburb life issues that you get when everybody has only a quarter of an acre and houses are pretty well stacked up. Now, some of these places down here in Florida, it's like everybody has maybe a tenth of an acre, if that, and I'm just like, oh my goodness. It's just houses stacked on top of each other, and it's not really small houses. I mean, you're talking 2,000, 3,000 square foot homes and uh, virtually no land, and maybe a community pool and a high HOA for some of these places. I don't have an HOA, thank God. My property taxes are less than $100 a month. Um, and my biggest regret is that I did not find a house that was suitable in my price range with more land and a fence. We're getting the fence taken care of, but we only have a quarter of an acre. And while my kids are still young, I have five children. My oldest is only six years old. And we're only able to enclose a portion of our yard because we have a corner lot. And here in Florida, in my county, if you have a corner lot, not 15 feet from the side street, which hardly gets any traffic, but 15 feet from where your property begins, which is even further in, you have to go 15 feet in from your property line to build a fence. If you go out further, they can, it's, even though it's your property, you can't build a fence there. So what I've done is have like this two feet high garden fencing around mo most of my property, which helps keep the kids in, but it's, it's not foolproof. Um, and you have a little bit more consternation of being inside if the kids are outside um that they're gonna run away or escape or dog might hassle them or you know some weirdo comes up or something but we're gonna get more of a fence and that's gonna be good but i know already in three four five years as the kids get older and as god willing we have more kids 
you know, five years might be really maxing out at a, you know, comfortability level with the yard. And we got some plants going, some crops going, some fruit trees, some berries, some tomatoes. Just today my wife planted, I think, some squash or uh, okra or something. Um, so we're trying to, you know, have some things that we can do for ourselves, some very small rudimentary things. Uh, my wife actually used to, where she grew up as a older kid and as a teenager, they had like two and a half acres. And I mean, she had a horse, she had some goats, she had some chickens to get eggs. And eventually we'd like to do something like that. Not very easy, easily done, however, on a quarter of acre of land. And I'm not even sure where we're at if there's restrictions. I think maybe you can have four chickens, maybe. Um, so it's just a different dynamic. I don't know how to put it. I mean, even communities where you have at least half an acre or certainly a full acre, it's, it's, I've, I've noticed kind of an inverse um, effect. When we lived in North Carolina, when we got our first house that we lived in for about two years, it was also pretty much everybody had about a quarter of an acre. And it was a very, very low income area. And thankfully, we were in the front part of the neighborhood. The further you went back, the more drug dealers and, and crazy stuff there was but where we were it was actually not bad and very inexpensive so it was a tremendous blessing from god but um one of the neighbors um you know had a pit bull that could get loose that could jump their fence their chain link fence and in the back of the yard there was like a double chain link fence one was shorter and then one was higher well it could easily jump the shorter one and then the higher one uh the way our fencing was it was starting to pull apart so I put a, a padlock and a chain around it to try to help close it. But even then, making it as tight as I could, this, this daggum dog could get half his body through it and would get stuck. And I finally had to go to, to the neighbors. You know, just in this neighborhood, you never know how it's going to go, per se. But uh, it was okay. Only the lady was there. I explained the situation. Nothing was done with it. Then the dog got in our yard again jumped into the other our other neighbor's yard and she doesn't take that mess and so she was just like you know called the pound or whatever and they issued a warning and then finally the guy sort of tied his dog up um but the way the chain link fences were in our yard it just it just diminished the amount of yard that we had and again young kids you can get by with this but i'm just thinking about you know, again, five, six years from now, when my oldest is, you know, I got like a 12, 11 and a 10 year old or whatever. I mean, it, there's not going to be much that takes place in the home outside of the house. Um, when you're that age, you're, you're hardly going to be able to throw a ball on, on a quarter acre, especially when the quarter acre isn't, um, Altogether, it's not like the whole quarter acres in the backyard. Um, it kind of wraps around the house where we are here in Florida. So my, I'm saying all this and elaborating long to say you really do lose something when you don't have as much land. And, and you may think, well, you know, what's the big deal? We can go to the park, we can do this, we can do that. And we can, that's certainly true. Um, but even there, the dynamic has changed. You're sharing it with other people. Um, you're... you're, you're you're not able to do it as often because you got to pack up, head out, you know, load up, pack up, unload, 
and all that. And, and those are great memories to have too. And I had those kind of type of memories as a kid with my dad going to the baseball field and, and, and pitching. My dad would catch for me and he'd hit fly balls to me in the outfield and that was wonderful. But we also had an acre of land and we're surrounded by family and I could just go traverse the acres of land in my uncle's yard or my grandmother's yard and it was just a nice community and as a young child it was very shaping and 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 pleasant in these suburbs nobody knows anybody and there's this inverse relationship where the more packed in the houses are it seems sometimes the less you want to talk to each other because you're just more you're just a number it's sort of like um i don't know a school or a college where you know, if there's only 50 or 100 or 200 students or whatever, it's more intimate. But get 1,000 or 10,000 or whatever, and it loses its um, intimacy. And, and people are just, there's so many people scurrying about through the halls that they're, you know, they're unrecognizable. You don't talk to anybody as much. Everybody still finds friends, of course, I, you know, at a, at a school or a college. I, I get that. Um, but it can be a little bit more difficult. I think, in the suburb even. Anyway, just wanted to spend a little time talking about that from my own experience. Um, I'm sure everybody has different experiences. For me, long term, I'm looking to get land. There's a place south of here, if we're going to be here long term, and God willing we will be, that has two and a half acres of land and uh, really nice. Every, every plot of land is at least two and a half acres. Houses are spread out. Yeah, it's more expensive. We got to save up money, but it it it'll be nice if 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 we can do that. All right. Um, yeah, Bobbing says modern life is a power that fragments and reduces the family. Work so preoccupies the husband and sometimes the wife as well, along with the children, that they return home in the evening late and late and tired. They leave home again early in the next morning. There's no time for conviviality, for cultivating a sense of family, for nurturing the children. Every Sunday has become a work day for thousands uh, of families or a day for getting out that leaves them no less exhausted. The houses where husband, wife, and children must live in the countryside and in the cities are often so miserable uh, that they lack any coziness and attractiveness and serve mostly as a place to spend the night. The activities of various clubs and groups designed for the relaxation and fun or for engaging various political and social interests have expanded so widely that in a very troubling way, they also promote being away from home. Um, so we do all of our stuff completely away from the home. And so we lose the bonds in the home, the relationships of husband and wife and children. Um, and we don't usually often even have grandparents or others involved with that anymore that it's just a it's no wonder that when we treat it as such a light thing and invest so little into it you know either quality or quantity time or um, energy efforts production that it's no wonder that uh, the love itself between husband and wife and children can be diminished or just more narrow um, it's not a whole of life love because you're not doing the whole of life together. Even as Christians, we might just read the Bible with our kids occasionally at devotion time and pray, but we're not teaching them how to do other things, working with their hands, throwing a baseball, etc. Um, he talks a lot about 
you know, housekeepers and domestic servants and so on, which again, that, that's something that I think we don't have hardly anywhere near as much of today as, we, as apparently there was still 100 years ago. But, you know, they're demanding more quote-unquote rights and freedoms, not having to live in the home per se anymore, but just getting a wage. But Bobbing says, yeah, that's a double-edged sword too. And he says, many a young woman upon entering her new home with her husband and with a heart filled with I- ideals quickly lost all her illusions when she encountered reality and discovered how hard it is to be responsible for the housekeeping. Um, the complaints regarding women and housekeepers did not arise for the first time in the modern era. They're as old as the world. But today, they're being sounded more loudly because, on the one hand, women are being trained much more with a view to other things than for housekeeping. Uh, and on the other hand, housekeepers are pursuing a different social position and want to identify their service more in terms of a professional position. Again, eroding the family and, and the domestic arts and so on and so forth. Um, and the new theories, new theories about marriage and family life are ravaging the family, says Bob Inc. Um, no longer does that commitment at all entail having children and raising those children to be citizens of the kingdom of God or even to be good citizens of the state. For procreation is entirely within their power. They decide that matter in terms of their own well-being. If it suits them, they will have children. But if they judge differently, then they simply decline to have children or they arbitrarily limit the number of children and they choose to destroy life in the womb. So here we have abortion 50 plus years before it was legalized, of course. Um, already a very recognized reality by, by Bob Inc. here. Um, but he says, nature cannot be changed with places, uh, which places on the woman the burden of motherhood and obligates her to care for the child for some time after birth. But once they are weaned, all the children come under the auspices of the state, and the state must be happy that it's receiving so much power for nothing in exchange. And the children need merely to be raised in one school and according to an, a, a uniform model. And some of these most liberal politicians, you know, are proposing um, universal, you know, daycare for basically, you know, infants or maybe not infants, but children, babies, just month old or one year old babies so that mom and dad can do whatever, work, party from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. and only have to deal with the children, you know, a couple hours a, a day. It's, it's, it's disgusting. It's wickedness. Um, it would be better to give up the children for adoption so that parents who really want to raise children can, can, can do so. I was looking at the numbers again, and there's data you can look it up online. You know, in the year 1800, the average woman had seven children, which means I would still be below the average, even though, though right now I'm two times, more than two times, two and a half times the average of the babies that are born to an average woman, typical woman in 2020, which are things like 1.7, 1.8 children. You know, Bobbing is writing in like 1917, 18, and I think by then the number had decreased to about 3.5 children. Still higher than about double uh, what we have today, but half of what was there in 1800. And when Bobbing was growing up, probably in what, the 1860s or 70s, I believe it was around four and a half or five, I can't remember exactly. So he saw this decrease in his lifetime, this transformation happening in his life. And it's a sad thing, and it's only in, um, continued. It was also interesting looking at, at this graphic that I saw online. 
you know, we talk about the baby boom, but just seeing it graphically presented, you know, right before the baby boom um, and the, uh, well, I guess it was shortly after World War II when it started, but really culminated in the, in the 60s, it was down to where we basically are today, like almost at least like 1.9 or something. And then it boomed up to like 3.5 again, roughly, if I'm recalling correctly. So about what it was back in Boving's day. So it, it grew and then it quickly by, you know, 19, I don't know, 80 or whatever, we're basically almost where we are today. It was around two or just slightly above two. Um, children per is like per family or per per woman who's married uh, that how many she has or whatever so think about I mean just think about the change from that where you have throughout the first half of the 19th century the 1800s probably six to seven children and then the mid and late 1800s you know four to four to five children and then in the early 20th century, early 1900s, you have what 3.5 drops way below, you know below that. We haven't been above really 3.5 in over 100 years. Um, we're, we're below replacement level now. That's damaging. It may take a generation or two for that really to be felt, but we're feeling it now. And the and the loss of structures and societal bonds and connection to community and even knowing your neighbors at any level at all, or even being able to have the, the conviction or the, the desire or the uh, boldness to say hey to them, to get to know them. I mean, some people struggled even to do that, and they're adults, 20s and 30s, you know? It's just incredible. It's crazy. It's scary. And, and frankly, it's evil. Um, you can't love your neighbor and love God well if you don't know your neighbor and you don't, you know, seek to the good of the city in which you're living by engaging in, in, in the community in, in, in a healthy way. Boving says divorce is increasing at an alarming weight, uh, rate. Uh, is made more easy through legislation, judicial action, sexual activity is casting off one restraint after another, and it's only continued. So these issues aren't new. They're just ripening more and more, rotting more and more. Um, he talks about protecting the family from all these changes. Um, he says people cannot create anything the foundations of society were laid once and all for, once and for all by God himself but on those foundations people can build further and restore what needs restoring so we may never despair of the reformation of human beings and family and society even if modern man, <coughs> man excuse me, should doubt its possibility <coughs> the Christian may not surrender to, to this discouragement because genuine piety holds promise for this life and for the life to come. So he says there is a positive side to contemporary society. Um, and, and so some are seeing the dangers to the family and are seeking to preserve it from shipwreck. At least this was true 100 plus years ago, according to Bob Inc. Um, we need a reformation, a revival of our inner affections by means of new and renewed deeds of faith and love. The Church of Christ ought to understand that her gift and her calling include not faith alone, but also love. Um, let's see, he says, 
The state is not the sphere of love, but of justice. It does not proclaim the gospel, but enforces the law. For that reason, the state can never take over or displace the task of the family. The state is not a parent who provides its citizens with food and clothing and a place to live, with work and wages, sustenance, and pension. The state presupposes the family, as does society, both of which existed before the state, each leading their own lives and being governed by their own laws. Anyone who expects the state to satisfy all those interests for which family and society and church are to look after is undermining the independence of these spheres of life and is calling for a remedy that in the long run will turn out, will turn out to be more dangerous than the disease. And that's true. So even if you could have um, a very godly government that took it upon itself to be the family and to nurture the children and to preach the gospel, and even if they were somewhat reasonably well preaching the gospel and setting up, you know, whatever, uh, schools or home economics and different things to help children um, even if it was doing that biblically well it's not what it's called to do it's not its function it bears the sword and so there would still be something askew something off something wrong with it so the and, and the big thing is you'd lose that personal dimension you know god is one he is our father we look to him as, as our one God who personally and intimately loves us and invests in us. The big faceless state doesn't and can't do that even if it's operating well and according to God's word and law, even if it's preaching the gospel. You know, we need human fathers and human mothers. That's what God has ordained. That's what God has, has decreed and given. Um... So think about the importance that you are, father or mother, or what you can be, single man or single woman, to society by raising your children faithfully and being a good mom and a, being a good dad to them and being a good spouse to your to your spouse. Um, you are the building blocks. We are the building blocks of all of society and state and government and everything else. The church, too. Uh, as minister of God, the government must see to it that the rights of family and society where each citizen in each sphere are acknowledged and protected, and in case of conflict, ensure that justice is maintained. Consequently, the state must call into being all such universal conditions whereby all citizens can fulfill their particular task and can answer to their own destiny in the sphere in which God has placed them and in agreement with the commandment he has given them. Um, so there's unique obligations that the government must perform with respect to the family. The state can neither create nor maintain the family. The state need not arrogantly constitute the family through law, and even less may it oppress and oppose the family. Um, but the state is to maintain the actual law. Um, legislation should, you know, regarding marriage and divorce, property, inheritance, working hours, and Sunday rest, labor of women and children, public decency, and many other things, the state you know, doing that rightly would be working in a powerful way for the well-being and flourishing of the family. The state's ideal is not to do everything itself, but to provide every citizen and all the spheres of life and society with the opportunity for each in their own domain to fulfill their own calling. Right? The government is an enabler of you to exercise your, your freedoms and your callings and, and to do it well. It's not a hindrance to that, and it's certainly not the nanny state that tries to hijack and take over all of that. So... That's, well, that's how it should be. It's not necessarily how it is. Our government is overreaching. The latter sentiment, um, 
Oh, let me back up. In this way, division has arisen among the disciples of Marx regarding the question whether one should have targeted the, the complete emancipation of the woman from the so-called slavery of men, homemaking and children, or whether the pursuit should have focused on returning the woman in the future more and more to the family. The latter sentiment has even been enjoyed a, um, enjoying a powerful defense. Socialist men have also declared decisively and unapologetically that the, duty, the first duty of the woman is to live for her family, that the so-called women's liberation conflicts entirely with her feminine nature, and that in the future society as well, even though, even though the production of goods will have become a communal matter for the Marxists, the family and family life must continue to exist. It's that essential even to the eyes of some of the Marxists in Bobbing's day. Um, he goes on and talks about the ancient patriarchal family is developing more and more into a modern family, one that has become disconnected from nature and location, from soil and land, and from the entire feudal regime. One one may regret this in many respects, but the current cannot be resisted since the development is moving in the direction of personal freedom. Now, again, freedom when it really becomes bondage because you're now working a nine to five for somebody you don't even know or even like probably. <laughs> um, so natural affections in your work and your labor is lost as well because not only is it not family anymore or a friend or somebody in the community, it might be some faceless bureaucrat or big shot, whatever. I mean, not everybody's in that situation, obviously, but many are. And I myself just had a sort of a nine to five, really a slave mentality. Like I have to give these 40 plus, 50 plus hours of my life and then I can do what I want. Now, by God's grace, you know, I've, I've I never liked that. I wanted to find ways around that, but I did realize that for many, and perhaps for myself, this would be what you just have to do. And some people, you do have to just do that. And it's not great, but it's the society you live in. And if you want to make enough money, you do what you have to do. And so it's not to say that a 9-to-5 job is inherently sinful or, or um, terrible for every person. But you can see how much it can take you away from the home and, and how much more difficult it can be to, to make up for that lost time. Um, Everything currently depends, Bavink says, far more on what a person himself is and becomes and does than on the family or class to which one belongs by nature. So there's a lot more fluidity and, and quote-unquote freedom. Um, but we always got to find a way to make money, right? To make bread. So your freedom is going to be restricted as it should be by the dominion mandate to you know, be fruitful, multiply, work with your hands, uh, fill the earth and subdue it. So woman... Today is supposed to have time to devote herself to art and science, but this destiny remains open merely for a few women. In, in any case, if women wanted to achieve economic independence, they would need to enter all those professions that are currently pr being performed by men. And those professions are rarely as desirable as they are often presented. In terms of monotonous, troublesome, and boring activity, they are truly not superior to the work of the woman in the family. And I think if a woman is working at home and loves her husband and loves her children, that's a... a joyous work. It may be monotonous. It may be um, unexciting. Scrubbing dishes, cleaning floors, wiping butts, snotting noses, rebuking, but there's hugs and kisses. There's yummy food. There's fun in the sun. There's
planting and gardening if you got land and take the time to do that. There's trips. There's there's much joy to be had. There's reading to your children. There's singing with your, your children. There's learning new games with your children. There's much happiness in there as well. And so it really is kind of like, you know, who are you working for? Do you love that person? Do they love you? Well, if not, it almost doesn't matter what your job is, even if it's your dream job. If your overlord is is terrible to you and you can't stand them, it sucks a lot of the enjoyment out of that. We're still to serve them as unto the Lord and knowing the Lord is our ultimate master and he does love us and we love him, but it still makes it really hard. Well, where should you naturally be able to find the most love? Well, it's in the family with your own spouse and children. And so when you're working in the home and for the home as the wife, that is good for you. And when the husband is able to work as much as he can to bring home the bacon for the family or, and this is where technology is almost the curve is coming back maybe to being able to work from the home. I spend most of my time working from home on a computer. So I'm with my family. It's got its pros and its cons, but it gives me an opportunity to do a lot of things that, you know, husbands and fathers who have to leave early in the morning and don't get home till late at night, working in a nine to five or a seven to seven in some cases or whatever, uh, with traveling and driving and stuff. Um, it affords me a great opportunity that they do not have. And um, I think positioning yourself so that you can invest in your family is, is a good thing to do. It's a wise thing. You don't want to lose your family for the sake of a high-paying job. It's unfaithful, it's unrighteous, and, and you're going to hate yourself in the end. When it comes to the bottom line, the woman can know her land in a better situation than in the family at the sight of a husband who loves her, surrounded by her children whom she tends and nurtures, says Bavink, and I amen that as well. Her nature is designed for that, he says. Her orientation lies in that direction. There she best fulfills her calling and best reaches her destiny. There is then no more foolish requirement and no more unnatural compulsion than to propose to the wife that in the coming political state she must give up her children, once they are weaned, to the community. The mother for whom maternal love is the unspeakable mystery and inexhaustible power in her life will never allow herself to be separated from her children in this way. She desires not merely to give them birth, but also to raise them, and she remains bound to them until the hour of her death. But women really are sinning against nature, right? They're leaving the home, leaving the natural affections, suppressing that, turning to unnatural desires, to be like men, to be in the workforce. It's akin to homosexuality. It's a vile passion, a vile desire. And husbands can do that, or men, I should say, can do that too, by desiring to be domesticated and effeminate and just be in the home all the time and let the woman wear the pants and... It's both filthy sin, backward sin. It's not a woman doing her job, you know, overzealously or oversubmissively or something like that. And it's not a husband leading, but leading too strongly or, or, or harshly. It's twisted and, and inverted. It's a double perversion. Um, and it's regrettable, but that's where we're at. And I think really what's happened even more since Bavik's day women have more fully entered the workforce, then what has the cost been? They've left their natural affections more and more, thinking they were going to find something better at the expense of children, often through abortion, through murdering their own children. And certainly the day after pill and, uh, or just, you know, whatever, condoms, just, just preventing conception, even um, the children have been sacrificed for the liberation of the woman. And how could it be otherwise? Because the woman is to be the mother and the natural caretaker of the child. And for the ones that are born, they're, again, they're often neglected, ba basically, and left in the daycares and in the schools, and, and the, the family bond is broken. And so, of course, you get crazy um, 
Chaz zones and all this stuff going on in um, Seattle and elsewhere today because people have been raised without parents guiding them and teaching them and it's, it's messed them up. Today the wife no longer needs to be busy with spinning and weaving, washing and ironing, making clothes and baking bread. As in former days, every family had to provide for its own needs in that way. Water and light are supplied today in every locale of any size by means of residential community service to every family. And again, I don't think Bavink is necessarily saying that's terrible, but it is something you have to take account of. It's nice that we have modern conveniences and dishwashers and washing machines and um, we could buy our clothes at Walmart or, you know, whatever. But was it only merely slavish labor that that was going on when we did that ourselves, Or did it create a stronger personal community and sense of self-worth because you were able to do this and you were providing more holistically with your own hands for your family, man and woman. You know, something like that is lost too. And so getting some of that back, again, even if it's not strictly speaking absolutely necessary, doing it anyway in some small measure. My wife um, crochets, make sure I get this right before she gets mad at me. <laughs> um, it's not knitting. Um, she makes things with her own hands. She bakes bread. She cooks. We could order out every time, but something's lost when you do that. But we still order out sometimes too, you know? But it's special, it's a special thing. You know, the homemaking and home cooking is more of the norm. The going out to eat is, is a special treat, especially when you get five kids and, you know, a tight budget and so on. But um, it's just a better thing. You want your roots strong in the family. You don't want to scatter your roots abroad and, and, and you know, at a, at a pizza hut or something. <laughs> If the development of the family, says Bavink, sorry, the development of society can take this approach that the woman need not supplement the family's earnings because the income of the husband would be adequate, then women in general would not go looking for employment in society, but instead a return of deep gratitude and love to their families. The truth is, if you want to have buku bucks, uh, yeah, the wife is going to need to get a full-time job and earn as much or maybe even more than the husband. You know, and then if you both make 60000 apiece and you have $120,000, then you can live at large. Um, but if only the husband is able to make, you know, whatever, 40, 50, $60,000, um, you're gonna have to live on a tighter budget. So be it, you know, I mean, that's okay. Uh, you can do it and it's worth it to have a healthy family and a home life. Uh, let's see. The demands that modern civilization places on the cities makes living more expensive and causes taxes to rise almost by the year. The houses are often small and uncomfortable, deprived of sunlight and fresh air. As far, there is far less conviviality in the cities than in smaller places. Not without justification, the large cities have been called conviviality's graveyard. And that's a pretty striking statement there. Um, and if you're not sure about a dictionary definition, as I'm not, of conviviality, it's the quality of being friendly and lively. Friendliness. <laughs> um, so, again, yeah, there's a lifelessness too often. It is a graveyard. Um, you talk about changes related to servants. 
Uh, and he talks about some tensions between like a housewife who doesn't know how to be a homemaker and a domestic servant who's been serving in houses for a long time. And basically it's interesting because we don't really think about this stuff so much anymore because it's a different dynamic in our structure now where we don't have house servants and those who live with us to do help do some of our stuff. But, you know, Bob Inc. says, and I think rightly, that if you have this, the wolf, the, the wolf, the wife still needs to be in charge of what is going on, still needs to be heading it up. Even if the servants are doing a lot of the actual lifting, the wife needs to be the overseer because it's still her duty ultimately. And if you've got the money and luxury to have someone to come in and clean your house or take care of it to some extent to free you up for other things, you know, more power to you. But the wife still needs to be the one who's in charge of this. And she needs to have some competency and skill in doing it or else she doesn't know how to advise or know what she's talking about. And so it creates tension when the house servant knows more than the housewife and both can get frustrated with each other. So Blavin talks about this. Um, kind of interesting, but for the sake of time, I'm going to zip past that. Um, he does say, so the domestic servants may in general appeal, in general appeal for improvements in their status, not having to live at the home, have wages, have more independent free time on their own. But they must openly and honestly acknowledge this inalienable right to the mistress to manage her own housekeeping. The welfare of the family, including the servant's family, depends on that. Um, let's see. Ch changes in the training of girls. Um, you know, it seems like he talked about um, these women from the small middle class seek jobs in teaching, nursing, postal work, telegraph service, public tra train transportation, in offices, at desks, and in stores. From the more, more prosperous circles, many women prepare for a profession in science or art, and the demand continues to resound more loudly that all professions, businesses, and positions, together with all the schools serving to train for them, be open just as widely and easily for women as they are for men. This has gone so far that not a few are claiming that this conflict will never end until women are placed on the same level as men in all respects of uh, in family and society, in church and state, socially, politically, and economically. He says, among the feminists themselves, however, there exists no small difference. Some will not shrink back from any implication and register the demand that marriage and family as we know them today would disappear in the future. Others are more moderate, more so a moderate feminist, <laughs> traveling the path not of revolution but of evolution, hoping that the woman's freedom and equality might come about within the boundaries of marriage and family. Among the women looking for a job, the number is very large of those who acknowledge that the woman do does actually find her vocation within marriage and family, in nurturing children and administering the housekeeping, but who, because in the current society they cannot count on that kind of future, choose for certainty over uncertainty and attempt to tread their own way through life. These latter have a legitimate claim upon our sympathy and support. He says the actual hardcore feminists are few in number. Um, of course, I think that's changed some, gone a lot further than Bob Inks Day. But, you know, I do want to say myself, I'm not opposed to a woman working outside of the home under the employee of someone else. If it's part-time, ordinarily, unless it's a, a severe emergency situation, particularly given when... You know, like our situation, we have five very young children. My wife really cannot do work outside of the home. When we lived with my parents for a little over a year, um, she did a little bit of part-time work, some. Um, 
but that was a different dynamic. <laughs> she was still primarily the one taking care of the home. Even when we were living with my parents, we didn't just cast our children to, to, to the grandparents, which would not have been, it's not healthy in general in our particular circumstance, it wouldn't have been healthy either. That's not to say that grandparents shouldn't and cannot have input and shouldn't and cannot have some degree of watching the kids while mom and dad are busy with other things, but the parents should still be the primary providers and the wife, the mother, particularly over the young children. You know, if you're getting into your 40s um, as a wife and your children are grown up and you don't have babies anymore or they're all in school now or whatever or you've got you know the older siblings are able to assist more and it makes sense for the wife to do a few more things outside of the house then praise god for that but uh, i mean you know you've got to take at least what 12 13 years before you get to that place i mean i guess some people may leave a 10 year old home alone with the babies at this point i can't imagine doing that but you know, I think my my oldest boys and daughter, you know, are going to have to be 12, 13, 14 before I'm like, okay, you guys are in charge. Um, Mom and dad are going to go on a date, or, you know, whatever, uh, before we put that kind of burden on them for the younger siblings, especially if we still have, you know, quite young kids, which we very well may, babies even. Um Anyway, I could say more. I mean, at some point you do want, especially your daughters, to have some training and, and watching over their younger siblings and even even the sons to be taking responsibility and watching over younger siblings and so on. It can be a training ground where the brothers and sister kind of mimic a husband and wife and, and, and overseeing their younger, younger siblings. But the wife's going to have to put in her dues raising the young children for over a decade probably, at least a decade before that greater uh, quote-unquote freedom or, or um, a new stage of life affords her a broader range of opportunities. Um, and so she can look forward to that, of course, as well. But the problem is short-circuiting that and women in their 20s and in their 30s wanting to just jump you know, right away while the children are still young and cast them off to grandma and grandpa or the daycare, even worse, the daycare, um, and not actually be a mother and, and, and so on. And the fathers allow this or encourage this or don't care, and so they fail to be a good father as well. And as the children get older, the fathers should be more involved, especially with the sons too. Um, talks about how co-education has not met the expectation. I guess back then still once the kids hit puberty more often the boys would be schooled with other boys only and the girls with other girls only and he thinks that's you know a healthy thing that co-education can cause conflict and issues and, 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 and stress and I've never grown up in that. I grew up where it was always co-ed but I can understand that line of thinking as well and so um well, again, I don't want to get bogged down on that because we're already, let's see here, 51 minutes in, and I want to wrap this up very soon so I can get my wife involved for a final discussion. 
Um, he says, at the present time, such training for housekeeping is needed for women, since as a result of various circumstances, the family itself cannot provide such training within the family, either at all, or only deficiently or partially. And because the increased shortage of domestic servants creates a huge need for lady servants, the kind of women from the aristocratic class who are forced to provide for their own maintenance <laughs> and who are taken in by another family lend help in housekeeping there. In the future, along this route, an arena of work will once again probably be closed for unmarried girls, which will lead them along another route back to the family, which in turn certainly deserves preference above many other jobs. But no matter how all of this may develop in the future, the solution of the women's issue lies generally and predominantly not in being separated from the family, but in returning to the family. And I think Christians today, we can do a better job of that. You know, I'd like to get to a place where I have enough house, spare rooms, bedrooms, uh, or even a separate wing or a small separate separated you know studio apartment or something that young couples I can assist and help and say hey you're just married come live here and stay here for a while on the cheap or in exchange for watching our kids some and you know maybe learn from us some uh, learn about how and, and, and talk with us and it's a bond is a fellowship is a, is, a, is a helpful training ground especially I see some of these reformed men and women they're engaged or they're about to be married they're still single and looking they have no parental support because their parents are unbelievers or complete nincompoops. And so they need help and they need guidance. And I'm sure women need this as well. And so I think as Christians, we who have a strong foundation and some space to do it, um, should think about doing that as a service to the community of God and the church of God. And, um, you know, even to build up your own congregation, if you're a pastor, say, hey, you know, live here. We have a good faithful church here. Live with us for a time until you get your feeding under you you know you can live for free here or on the very cheap exchange for some 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 good or some babysitting or whatever you know you don't want to take away somebody's dignity completely if they feel like they're completely getting a handout and they want to pay something or do something that's certainly understandable but give them a benefit that you probably enjoyed if you had good parents that they don't get because their parents weren't there or dead or whatever the case may be i like to be able to help out in that way sometime but that's just kind of a side bar thought and that can bolster community, bolster churches, and allow Christian folks to get ahead in life rather than the unbelievers, you know, um, to give them greater opportunities. We need to be thinking that way and not just throwing money at some Christian organization that may go sideways and south and promote wokeism anyway. Um, he, 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 Bob Mink goes against um, socialism. <laughs> And, oh, this is an interesting quote. It says, the proverb contains all too much truth that says, the coin that is round makes straight what is crooked and wise what is stupid. Money justifies everything. He does balance that out and say money is not inherently sinful, just like wisdom money has, an acquire, has acquired an ephemeral side for many people. Um, but he's saying money is not everything. You need bonds, family bonds, too. On the contrary, as social capital increases, it too is spread across an increasing number of owners. It does not stay with a few magnets, magnates, but trickles down into continually lower and wider circles. The number of aristocratic citizens does not decrease but rises. Even among laborers, wages have climbed, talking about the benefits of capitalism here, and the living standard has risen. Compared to previous times, the welfare, convenience, and enjoyment of life have increased in an extraordinary way among all ranks and classes of society. Um... For God, 
God does not separate money from the moral quality of its owner. He demands an accounting of all the capacities over which he has appointed us stewards. In his eyes, the widow's might is more valuable than the gift flowing from a person's abundance because it embodies self-sacrifice and he himself attaches his blessing to that. Thus, for the Christian, there exists no right at all to despise money or to criticize capital. Sin resides in the person, not in money. Money is a good gift of God and affords opportunity for beneficial work. Uh, private property has undergone uh, changes recently, says Bob Inc. Um, he says private property is grounded in human nature. Certainly the government has a calling in this respect, uh, but in general the government has a calling not to abolish private property but to protect it. For private property is not a right that the state has bestowed, but an inalienable right belonging to the person himself. Every person has the right to acquire assets along the route of God's commandment, according to the law that he ordained for that. Right? All the patriarchs and all the families are therefore blessed with land. Canaan, the promised land, is a land flowing with milk and honey. Heavens can be blessed. Blessed is the man who has his provisions now on earth too, as he seeks God faithfully, seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all the things we need for life are added to us. Um... You know, enjoying the fruit of your labor, as Ecclesiastes talks about. That's a blessing. That's what we should do. And it builds family and community. So this is not just pious advice. This is biblical. Filling the earth and subduing it and enjoying the fruits of your labor in that is a blessing from God. But if you don't work, you shall not eat. And you should not enjoy, therefore, the blessings of, of land and descendants and children and community and prosperity. So... That's a biblical view of prosperity. And the gospel does have even uh, economic prosperity attached to it when we understand that faithfully and rightly and incorporated with the uh, cultural mandate, dominion mandate, and so on and so forth. Um, and so he closes and he says, The family will not disintegrate, but marriage and family will continue to exist until God achieves his intention with them. Um, and he says, Christians know about other and better things. They do not look back to the past with homesickness, for even then not everything that glittered was golden. They do not surrender their hearts to the present, for their eyes see the suffering that belongs inseparably to the present time. And they do not fantasize about a perfect society, because in this dispensation sin will continue to hold sway and will constantly corrupt all that is good. But they are assured that God's purpose with the human race will nevertheless be attained, despite all the conflict involved. Humanity and the world exist, after all, for the sake of the church. Um... And the church exists for the sake of Christ's will, and Christ belongs to God. In the city of God, the creation reaches its final goal. Into that city, all the treasures will be brought together that have been acquired by humanity in the course of time through fearsome conflict. All the glory of the nations is gathered there, and in the spiritual association of Christ with his church, marriage will also reach its end. Marriage was instituted so that the glory of the king would come to light in the multitude of his subjects. Once it has attained this goal, marriage itself will pass away. The shadow will make way for the substance, the symbol for the reality. The history of the human race began with a wedding. It also ends with a wedding, the wedding of Christ and his church, of the heavenly Lord with his earthly bride. Thus ends Bavink's wonderful book, Everything is About Marriage and Family. Marriage is a picture of Christ and the church. Our children are to picture that. They leave and cleave and get married. If we fail this, we fail the very picture of salvation. Salvation and families are bound up together so intricately. The covenant includes families and households for that reason. That's why we baptize our children as infants, as babies, 
because they're part of the covenant and the family. And if we raise them well, the kingdom will grow. We'll keep our children. They'll grow in grace and godliness. And the kingdom will be realized and we'll see the kingdom come as will be done on earth as it is in heaven all the more. Okay, that's the end of this section. We're going to have my wife come in and discuss things as a final wrap-up. Thanks and God bless. Alrighty, as promised, we are now in part two. This is kind of a wrap-up of the whole book. And I have my wife here with me, Jocelyn. And I read through the whole book out loud with her. And we discussed it as we went. And that kind of gave me a lot of um, food for thought as I did all these recordings. And uh, kind of having the ability to have read it and be fresh in your mind beforehand was a big help. And uh, one of my pastors in North Carolina said, hey, you know, you should have your wife on. So I thought, yeah, I'll, I'll try to do that. <laughs> and um, she's always, you know, a little bit shy about these things. But, um, you know, I think what I'll do is just kind of ask you, Jocelyn, how you enjoyed um, the book overall, what your thoughts of it were, some, you know, what were some of the major takeaways you got from Bob Inc.'s book on the Christian family? Um, how did it, how did it help you? What did you enjoy about it? Um, that sort of thing. Okay. <laughs> Sounds good. Oh, okay. So, yeah, okay. so go ahead. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, it was quite relevant to everything that's going on today. Mm -hmm. um, whether you're talking about um, Christian women in the home versus this Christian feminist, you know, in the home, mm -hmm. kind of talking about those issues arising at that time. Mm -hmm. um, and if you read it, it's like, oh, wow, this is happening now. Um, and we're dealing with the same thing. Um, so it was, you know, very just relevant. I don't know what else to say about that. Um, and even, even the social issues, you know, in the last couple chapters, um, that are going on with the world. Wow. Okay. Um, the social issues that are going on in the world today, um, you know, we're just how to deal with that and, um, you know, stuff like that. And so, um, yeah, I highly recommend it to anybody <laughs> to give it a read. Um, I, um, obviously from a, a woman's perspective, really appreciated, um, you know, the, the role, when you talked about the role of um, a wife and um, a mother and, um, you know, the importance of that, mm -hmm. um, it's, you know, the husband has to go out and work and provide for his family, um, and he needs to be, um, secure in knowing that his family during the day is being nurtured and taken care of, um, the house is being maintained, um, you know, progress is happening, you know, whether it's, you've got land and you need to maintain it, or, um, you know, providing the food and all that stuff, like, um, that kind of falls on the wife while he's at work. Um, and, you know, just talking about 
um, yeah, that is so important, um, you know, in raising the children. Um, uh, so, you know, if, if the wife is busy out, you know, trying to find a job, mm-hmm. um, not saying that the wife can never work, but trying to find, you know, her main pull is outside of the home, mm-hmm. um, you know, the home is going to suffer. The children are going to suffer. Mm-hmm. And her husband's going to suffer because there's a, a loss of joy in the home. Yeah, no, nobody's in the home. Yeah. No, nobody is maintaining it. Mm-hmm. It's just sort of where you crash mm-hmm. after the busyness of everything you've done in the day. Yeah. Um, and it's more complicated when you have young children who aren't even old enough to be in school yet. So families either send them off to a daycare when they're barely, you know, a year or two old. Mm-hmm. Um, so they don't even really get to establish too much of a bond with their mom or dad. Yeah. Um, and if mom and dad are working a nine to five type of job and then they go get their kid from the daycare, they're exhausted. Both the parents are exhausted. Nothing has been taking place in the home as far as the development of it. Yeah. There's no beauty in it. There's no organization in it. It's empty. Mm-hmm. And you're leaving at best just a few hours scraps to home life. Yeah. And the kid hasn't literally has not been raised in the home. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's very unhealthy, of yeah. course, and destructive. And the child doesn't feel like he has a sense of belonging even to his own family, mm-hmm. to his own parents, because... He's offloaded. Yeah. You know, and a a step up from that, which is, of course, I think better, and I talked about this just a few minutes ago, is a lot of families today, Christian families, if they have decent parents, they'll send their children to their parents. So the grandchildren, uh, the grandparents are raising the the grandchildren more than the parents are, Mm -hmm. all for the pursuit of a two-income household. Yeah. And... You know, that's, you can make more money that way, but at what cost, right? I mean, the cost is you lose your home life. Um, The the child's affections are going to be pulled between the parents and the grandparents. Um, And when it should be the parent that's doing the raising and instead it's the grandparent, it it just mixes things up. Mm -hmm. You know, the grandparents, certainly in a good Christian family, the grandparents have a place and an assistance and a supportive role. Um, but it should be that, you know, support, not rearing. Yeah. I th- and I think, um, I, I don't remember if this was talked about in this book, but I've read other books on family and stuff. And, you know, the child's security in their parents is so important. Mm-hmm. So if they don't have that security, you know, they're going to get it from somewhere else, you know, um, if it is the grandparents, you know, or if it is, you know, the friends at school or your friends' parents or something like that, you know, whoever shows no. them support and interest, affection, affection. Right. yeah, I mean, it could turn into, you know, a secret ugly sin where they find their security. So, mm-hmm. you know, the importance of finding your security in your parents and then your parents, you know, us as parents pointing them to Christ, you know, right, um, is just so. Um, just vital to their uh, development. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah I, I did not, um, growing up, I don't think I put a whole lot of thought into 
home dynamics when I was going to be an adult and married. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly not like I do now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, you know, it wasn't... Nobody told me you need to think deeply about these things and have these things in order. Maybe in part because it's just assumed that the wife stays home, but in a lot of cases today, that's that's not the case. Mm-hmm. You know, I think there's a difference even between like the '90s when I was a kid growing up, or the early 2000s, versus the later 2000s, and now the you know now we're into 2020. I think even more has uh, disintegrated. Yeah, and um, you know, I, I I did not really expect to have five kids. Um, you know, I always thought, oh, we'll have a couple of kids, whoever I marry, <laughs> but for all intents and purposes, I was an only child. I have a half sister, but she's a fair bit older than me <laughs> and never lived in the home with me. And so it wasn't really part of my upbringing to have siblings in the house. And at that time I didn't have this belief and conviction that we need to be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Which means don't take, you know, ridiculous measures to limit the size of your family. Yes, there's a curse in childbearing. you got to have a certain amount of basic income just to provide or have a means to, you know, raise your family with food and clothing and shelter. Um, But in this nation, that typically isn't an obstacle, you know, where, oh, I can only have one kid or two kids or something. Most people can have many more kids than that and not have any kinds of issues in this nation because of either family or job opportunities or even government assistance or whatever. Um, there's a, there's a, a, a way. Um, and trusting God. And, well, first and foremost, <laughs> well, yeah. of course, trusting God. But, and right? there's been many times where we're like, oh, wow, we're pregnant again. <laughs> yeah, right, right. And you do have that wave of, oh, how are we going to make it? How are we going to get through this? And it's, well, God is going to provide, and mm-hmm. he's provided right. every single time. Uh, he's provided when, you know, we didn't even think we needed anything more, you know. So, you know, his provision is just, you know, if we remain faithful mm-hmm. um, in prayer and, um, yeah, like, he's, he's there providing for us. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean it's not going to, you know, it's, there's still going to be hardship. Um, right. You know, you have to plan and budget and all that stuff. Right. Um, <clears throat> yeah. But Bavik did talk about um, giving your child over to the state. He did talk about that, didn't he? I think some, yeah. 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 Um, so even then, you know, that was happening. Right, right. You know, like, a lot of stuff happening today was still going on. Yeah. Was, was already going on back then, 100 yeah. years ago. So, I mean, I guess you're, the, the state is bringing up your child, and, uh, but, uh, they don't have much, much security in that. <laughs> right, right. And he talks about feminism, especially in the last couple of chapters. Mm-hmm. I mean, really throughout the book, but it's, it's only developed, and we're reaping the bitter fruit of that now. Um, I was going to ask ask you. So, what was your what was the biggest transition for you from being a single woman <laughs> to being married, and in our case, very quickly having children? What I guess maybe in your mental outlook on everything, mm-hmm. what what changed, or what was the biggest transition that you had to make? 
or the biggest expectation change? <laughs> That's a hard question. Yeah. I mean, there are a lot. It doesn't have to be just one. Just, in, you know, maybe just paint the picture for me. I'd like to know this uh, for my own, uh, you know, well-being. There were a lot of changes. Mm -hmm. A lot of ways in which I needed to change my thinking. I mean, I was very much, okay, so before I met you, mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I did date a few guys, but... I also had like this idea of, you know, I'm going to be a massage therapist, which mm -hmm. I was, right. um, I'm going to, you know, either get a cute apartment or rent a cute apartment or buy a cute little house. And mm -hmm. I'm going to have, um, my great Dane and dog, right? Yeah. yeah. And, and that's, that was going to be my life. Just me and yeah. my dog. And, um, you know, and when I was thinking that way, I wasn't thinking that it was selfish. Yeah. But thinking back now, it was all about me. Yeah. <laughs> it was, yeah. you know, all about providing for myself and, you know, um, being in control of whatever I did. And now, was, was that because you did not want to be married or was that because, was that just until you got married or did you think you would not get married for a long time? What, what well, was behind all that? I don't know. I think I went back and forth in my thinking. Um, I think I always desired to be married, but I, but there was actually, there was a part of me that kind of like rebelled against that. Like, mm, yeah. you know, and I didn't want to have a lot of kids. Really? Um, mm. you know, at, at least there were times where I thought, no, I'm not going to have any kids, you know, mm. or just one or two or whatever. Um, and, um, just because that would be such a hassle or handful or. Yeah. And also like, I just, I, I, I had, I, obviously I had not had kids, so I didn't know the, the hardship of, of having a kid. Childbirth. Yeah. Childbirth. Yeah. But <laughs> I was thinking about that. Right. <laughs> like, I don't want right, to go The fear that. of that. Right. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to do that. Right. Um, and, uh, yeah, anyway, so that was very much my thought, even when I was you know, dating guys and it got pretty serious and stuff, but really, I think it changed when I met you, <laughs> um, you know, we, you, you talked a lot <laughs> and I listened and thought a lot and that's good, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. and also you know, I, I never want to, you're not a pastor yet, but that's, you know, Lord willing, your goal. I never wanted to be married to um, a pastor. pastor. Right. Um, I never wanted to be a pastor. It's funny, yeah. <laughs> you know, um, so there's just, yeah, those, those things. But um, we just talked things through and read the Bible and read other books that, mm -hmm. you know, um, yeah, showed us how we are um, supposed to live as a married couple. Um, and I don't know, well, I think, I think one of the biggest lessons I learned, uh, and I'm still learning, <laughs> um, is, um, recognizing the different roles as, and, um, you know, as you being the authority and the head, um, <clears throat> There's many times where, um, whether I say it out loud or not, um, I was very defiant and, um, you know, disrespectful. Um, 
And so that has been a big um, thing for me to learn. And I know women hate hearing that. Like, you shouldn't have to do that. You shouldn't have to be silent. Right. Um, but it's not necessarily being silent. I could be right. silent and still have the wrong heart. Right. You right. know, um, it's knowing when to respectfully talk to your husband, you know. Right. Um, and so I, that's been a big um, hurdle. Right. That I think I've slowly... <laughs> Oh yeah, for sure. No, you do a good job. Um, I mean, I, I don't think you, um, by and large, I don't feel disrespected by you at all. And you know, the Bible talks about that. It says, see, you know, the wife is to respect her husband, mm -hmm. and that is in part, you know, the deference because the husband is the head. Mm -hmm. Now, the husband is also commanded to love the wife mm -hmm. and to nurture her, and so. It's not a one-way thing where the wife has to be the servant and the husband just gets to do what he wants and treats his wife like trash. There's a mutual yeah. um, responsibility and duty. Mm -hmm. It's reciprocal. But it's not reciprocal in an egalitarian way where you're just, you know, two of the same pieces of the puzzle yeah. or whatever. You, you know, there's a head and there's a body. There's a, a leader and a helpmeet or however you want to put it. You know, yeah. there, there's a... A division of labor mm -hmm. and an authority structure that God has ordained and because God has ordained it and made us that way our very um, maleness and femaleness is designed to fit that way mm -hmm. that when you stop resisting it and lean into your responsibilities and your callings it's only then when you really can find the joy in it and the blessing of it yeah and you can actually see wow this is good mm -hmm. we don't have to fight over who does this or that because god has already prescribed it and what he is he's not only prescribed it and said this is how it is he's given us in our very being in our very natures as male and female the equipment to do it yeah and to enjoy it and to delight in it in our own labor and in the labor of our spouse mm -hmm. and so in each other and it goes back to bob vink's um you know the very introduction that they talked about where there's in the trinity a three and one is a unity and diversity mm -hmm. and in the marriage itself there's this this harmony yeah. between the two becoming one flesh each playing a particular um role which is in accord with their very nature and being their very sex and it is it creates a greater unity mm -hmm. and the children when flow out from that unity and create their own diversity with unity when they get married yeah. and um, I think all that's very good and very important and helpful yeah. because you know the culture today does not see they don't care about or even know about God's word and God's will and God's way and so every person is doing what's right in his own eyes yeah. and it's just it's just madness it's just sort of insanity everyone's searching for their place <laughs> right yeah right when, right yeah you've got the Bible to tell you what you should be doing yeah and it's not just like you're a robot. <laughs> right. You know, there's there's so much joy in um, recognizing your role and then confronting it head on, you know. Um, and that's another thing that's been difficult for me was certain things with, uh, well, it's always kind of been, oh, i got to cook for everybody. <laughs> but 
slowly and surely throughout the years, you know, it's more of a joy for me to do that. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I want everyone to be happy with what they're eating and I want their tummies to be full. Um, the kids aren't always grateful either. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, I've had to get creative. I've had to settle on, okay, these are the three or four favorite meals and they're, they're young. So we're just going to rotate that each yeah. week and that's okay. Um, they're going to grow and their tastes are going to improve. Right. Right. <laughs> we can get fancier. Yeah. yeah. Right. Um, so, you know, just kind of, um, mm. yeah, enjoying what you're doing. There's going to be challenges every single day, figuring out how to work through the challenges and right. Yeah. And I think the mother's task probably is more thankless when the children are young. Than dad, you know, dad gets to pick up the kids and spin them around and fly them and throw them around. And mom, you know, maybe she'll do something like that, but it's more, uh, you know, mom is the provider of food. And so I'm really hungry. I whine and I complain for a drink or a food or whatever. And children, on one hand, I think they are appreciative, but on the other hand, it's just they recognize this is just how it is. And we're always naturally selfish they don't always stop and say well thank you mom for this wonderful meal yeah. even the ones that they like you know it's, it's just not it's not in our nature yeah. easily you know mm -hmm. and I think it can be discouraging to you to women in general but I think to you too um our feelings can get hurt yes that's <laughs> what I'm saying yeah it's just kind of like why does nobody care you know <laughs> And, um, which I have uttered many times <laughs> well sometimes probably so I do try to say thank you I don't always but I do yeah. I think right yeah, but, I do. mean I, I, I do try to ex express my thankfulness and delight in you know whatever Jocelyn makes because I know it's not it's not always pleasant it's rarely I would think is it pre pleasant with five little kids now to make a meal with them running about and crying and complaining and then having hunger pains and and doing all that kinds of stuff. Mm -hmm. And then you make this meal and they just look at it like it's it's you just gave them somebody's brain <laughs> and they don't even want to eat it. Wow, I put all this effort into it, kicking and screaming, and then now you're moaning and groaning about about it. Yeah. So That's not every night. No, 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 yeah. no. It's not every night. But it happens, <laughs> you know, enough that it's it's hard, but yeah. I, th I do think that as children grow up and become over older children and teenagers, I know the culture talks a lot about teenage rebellion. I think if you raise your children right, mm -hmm. that's actually the time where they start coming around more and more and having greater self-awareness and recognition and start wanting to be more and more like their parents mm -hmm. and appreciate what what you've done. Yeah. Um, so I, I think there is a natural, I don't know, progression in that and we haven't lived that out yet our oldest kid is six but yeah. you know I think that even our six-year-old Peter is more sweet and appreciative than mm -hmm. you know our two and a half almost three-year-old or whatever so yeah for yeah. sure and he our six-year-old at least with me will catch on to my emotions you know Mm -hmm. Why why are you upset about this or mm -hmm. why are you laughing at that or why did you just smile you know so mm -hmm. there's more of an awareness, awareness. of um, 
how I'm feeling. Right. <laughs> and he wants to know, you know. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. And um, you know, I think that for 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 men, <clears throat> for the husband, I think that my struggle, <clears throat> often working from home, is I'm trying to do my work. But at least in my case, and in some ways it wouldn't matter, but in my case, it's I'm at a computer most of the time or I'm reading something. It's not a physically demanding job. Now, I cut grass. If there's something physically heavy I have to pick up around the house, I do it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but I know that you're carrying babies and you're slogging away and... I also know when you're you're at a at a point where you're you're at a breaking point, which happens every day, you know, because mm-hmm. the kids are the kids, and yeah. and so there's a benefit of being home. There's also a a, a dark side to it, if you will, <laughs> where I'm pulled in two directions. I have a calling and a duty, but then you think, well, you know, is this uh, article I'm reading really necessary or as important as as doing something out there, and I think the answer is, if what you're doing isn't just playing games on the computer or something like that, if you're actually investing in something that is part of your calling and duty, then it is important, yeah. and you have to respect those divisions of labor. It's not, you know, not rec- you know there are times where there's a real meltdown and you need to come in there because it, it it's just needed, and if you're there, it's a benefit to be at home and to help. But those type of things, I think, are, are a difficulty for me. And I have to imagine they're a difficulty for you, too. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just kind of, a, I think, an uglier side of things. But it can also be a good thing when, you know, I can come in and watch the kids for a bit while you go jog. Yeah. Or you go walk or something. But then there's also, I, I, you know, when I used to teach more and be out of the house more, you know, there's the struggle of... And this was more for me when we had less kids because early in our marriage, so it wasn't as much. But you know, I can imagine if I'm working a nine to five job right now and out of the house that much, I I can't imagine coming home and you just being full of joy. <laughs> and not necessarily because I'm saying you're just a joyless person. It's just five kids and you're all by yourself doing it. Now that would be your duty and your calling. Yeah. And you need to find joy in that as much as you can. But there's also a struggle in that as a father and a mother as well. And so is that always the most healthy thing to be out of the house all the time? Probably not also. You know, when you have, you know, a nine to five job, but you have to spend in some cases, some people 30, 40, 50 minutes driving each way to get to your job. It's even more than that. Mm -hmm. Um, that's where family and others can help and, and, and assist, but there, there's a balance to, you know, to all this stuff. And, yeah. um, but I think if you go in on it, recognizing that God's calling is the man is to work, to bring in the bread, to make the money, to have a calling that is outside of the home. Mm-hmm. And the wife's calling is pr- firstly inside of the home and only secondarily outside of the home. And the father's calling is first and foremost outside of the home and secondarily inside of the home. When you know that that's just straight up what God has designed you for and required, then you just shut up and obey it. Yeah. And then you actually come to see this is good mm-hmm. because I am made for this. And if the wife was sent into the, some of these stressful situations that I have, she wouldn't be equipped for it. Mm-hmm. 
And if I had to change diapers and do all the stuff with the kids, I wouldn't be equipped for it. Yeah. I'd, I'd throw the kids off the roof by now or something. You know what I mean? <laughs> it, would, it would be, you know, or whatever. The patience wouldn't be there. The, the motherly um, nurturing wouldn't be there. And the toughness that the father and man is supposed to have wouldn't be there for the wife. Uh, and the stubbornness, that a good sense of stubbornness wouldn't be there for the wife. And so when women enter the workforce, <laughs> good luck, honey. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's most of the jobs, not all of them, but many of them, um, it's just not something they're going to be as suited toward. Mm-hmm. And men, men don't typically want to come home and take care of kids that they might want to sit on their butts and do nothing. But there's no satisfaction in that. But, you know, the, if there's a wife who's ruling the roost and the man is just a, you know, cuckold, uh, he doesn't get satisfaction in that. He's, you know, clipped below the belt. <laughs> and um, it, it, it just makes the woman a nasty, hard woman, too. Yeah. And so I think that, you know, look, we live in a world that is cursed with sin. So to struggle for the man and for the woman. There's difficulties in that. And there's overlap, because you're both parents, but you gotta be parents as father and mother. And you gotta find a way to love each other too, and it's difficult. But there's so much joy. You know, we all day long, we can, as mom and dad, be frustrated with our kids, and then as soon as they're in bed, we're talking about our kids, and how much we love them, and how much we enjoy them. It's interesting, isn't it? Because that's what, that's, that's what happens very often. I think any parent who loves their kids knows what we're talking about. They're yeah. fighting hard all day long for their kids to do well. And it's stressful and it's exhausting. But then at night, after you unwind a bit, you're thinking about your kids. And the good highlights of the day. And the yeah. joys that you had. And the hugs and the kisses. And the reading of the books. And the playing in the, in the sun and in the pool. And you know, planting things together outside. And doing all of this. And you realize this is blessed. This is good. And um, I'm just really blessed to have such a wonderful wife and children and, God willing, more and more children. And, you know, despite the difficulties of being faithful Christians and faithful parents of a large family in the modern age and a culture that hates all this stuff and wants to abort children, um, there's still ways to make it work where it's happy and it's satisfying. And even if it isn't, it's pleasing to God. And it's what you're called to do. And that should be satisfying in and of itself. And, um, you know, there, there's so much you learn from just the grind of having children and working through things. The problem is when parents stop fighting in their marriage and stop fighting for their children. Yeah. Um, and that happens too much, too. And people end up calling a truce or whatever in their marriage and that just leads to disaster yeah um is there anything else you wanted to say before we wrap up here or anything any other thoughts that you had um well at the end of the book um he was talking about he was talking about um you know women you know, when they're in that place before marriage, they're like, you know, they're an adult. They, they're old enough to be married, but they're not married yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, w- what to do. <laughs> right. Um, you know, if you're needed at home, if you have younger siblings and you can help out at home and 
through your helping, you're kind of um, learning how to be the manager of your own home, you know, when, when you do get married and have kids. Um, but if, you know, say you were the youngest and there's not much for you to do, um, find, find work, but find work that would be um, beneficial uh, to you when you do become a wife and mother, you know. Yeah. Um, whether you're, um, you know, you become a nanny. I don't know if he actually used that word, but mm. a nanny, you know, mm. taking care of kids or... Um, Babysitting type thing. Yeah, or you, um, uh, you know, somebody hires you to do the housework, to be a housekeeper mm. type thing. Um, you're not managing it, but you're learning the skills, you know. Right. You're getting your hands dirty. You know, you'll know what to do, or you'll, you'll know... Will know how to do the work and um, you've intimated to me that you kind of wish you had taken more initiative of learning how to cook and do those type of things yeah. too when I mean, you that were was younger. my own fault but yeah right yeah I mean my mom was definitely saying you need to learn how to do this <laughs> yeah and I that was kind of part of my rebellion no I, I'm gonna take care of myself you know I'll figure it out when I get to it I don't need to learn now mm -hmm. um, and that was just dumb um, really foolish of me. Um, there's plenty of things that I, you know, handyman type things that I didn't learn as well, um, that I could take in more initiative on. So it's not that you have to be perfect entering your marriage or whatever, but you certainly need to have the right attitude in your marriage. Yeah. And the willingness. Nobody's going to enter marriage having learned everything. Mm. You begin learning when you yeah. get married, and, and, and especially when you have children. Yeah. That's the beginning of your learning, but being somewhat prepared and having some skills going into it is certainly desirable. Yeah. I mean, if you are a very masculine woman, you're not going to be appealing to a spouse. And if the man is very effeminate, most women that are worth marrying aren't going to be attracted to that. Yeah. Um, and so, I, I mean, honestly, that, I think, for men and women that are Christians, that desire a healthy and godly marriage, just being a man, if you're a man, and being a woman, if you're a woman, and, and, and preparing yourself to be a good husband, preparing yourself to be a good wife, obviously, is the most important thing. Yeah. Um, for your own ability and for your ability to attract somebody. <laughs> yeah. Um, and there's a lot that goes into that, of course. I mean, we don't have to get into all that, but I mean, I shudder thinking about some of the women I could have married <laughs> and how disastrous that would have been. That may sound arrogant of me, and if any of you women are listening, I'm sorry, but, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's, it, it, it just... I was stupid in some of the things I was looking for. And I think you've kind of said the same things too about yourself. Like you weren't necessarily looking for a good godly man either. Yeah. Um, and certainly the couple guys you dated, I'm not so sure. Anyway, <laughs> it would have been the, the, you know, the best for you either. Yes. Um, but I was pretty firm in infant baptism all the way. Well, that's good. <laughs> that's true. I kind of flaked out on some of that at some points, but never would I do that now. My problem, as I've said before, was I just thought if the woman knew theology, 
you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. If she just had her doctrinal ducks in a row, then obviously she'll be a great wife. But you can have all your theological bullet points perfectly aligned, but, you know, hate being a wife and a mother. Yeah. And it doesn't matter. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't matter how, how good their theology is at that point. Yeah. I mean, in one sense, you can say their theology isn't good, mm-hmm. right? Because they don't really want to do what they're called to do. Yeah. And so I've learned so much in the last year or two that scripture really does speak to us as male and female. Yeah. I mean, he made us that way in the beginning. Mm-hmm. But the word of God, you know, and this is what the feminists and egalitarians and even some of my people I know that are now going in a direction I don't think is so healthy are kind of like, what do you mean by this? You know, what the Bible is the Bible for everybody, male or female. Of course it is, but it does speak to us differently, mm-hmm. um, whether you're a man or a woman. Yeah. And the more you, you know, look at the scriptures, you realize that increasingly. Mm-hmm. Um, and some people, I think, just hate it. Yeah. Some people look at it and can't stand it. Because it calls men to a particular set of duties and women to a particular set of duties. And when we can just say it's all the same, we can both avoid our responsibilities, yeah. at least in the nitty-gritty. And that's part of the major issue in our churches today. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that goes back to like my, my thinking of, well, it's just going to be me and my dog. Yeah. You right, know? Right. Like, yeah, the idea of marriage would be great, but it was kind of fantasized, too. Mm-hmm. It'd have to be this perfect, you know, like, situation moment type thing. Um, but then the other side... <laughs> but then you met me, you know, like, I'll settle for less than perfection, yeah. <laughs> but the other side, I mean, there's going to be this knight in shiny armor, so it's just going to be me. I'm just going to take it all yeah. in my own hands. It's just going to be me and my dog. Right. Know? Yeah. It's funny you had a great Dane. Yes. Because it's like, I might have a man, but I'm going to have a pretty big dog. Yeah. So... It's kind of like a, a substitute. <laughs> uh, yeah. I don't know if you realize it that way or not, but yeah. Well, yeah, I think of it that way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> is there anything else you'd like to, any last bits of advice uh, or anything? Or do we want to close here? Yeah, I think, I think that's all You're I got. All, that's all you got? <laughs> well, yeah. thank you for um, discussing this with me. Yeah. And, uh... You know, hopefully everybody listening, especially the ladies, if there are some, (laughs) Mm -hmm. um, were benefited by your input and insight as a woman. And, you know, I think that what really drew me to you was I, I recognized quickly, well, I came in, I think I came in pretty strong. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> and said, this is what I think, this is what I want, this is what I'm looking for. Mm-hmm. We had a natural physical, emotional attraction. Yes. Just off the bat, mm-hmm. which definitely helps. <laughs> I mean, if that's not there, yeah. it's going to be hard to move further, I guess. But that's just, you know, that baseline was there, basically. And then when we talked... Both of us were pretty serious quickly. Yeah. And you responded to my assertiveness, I guess, is the way I'd put it. And I'd learned from even recent experiences, ongoing even experiences at Bible college where I met you. I was at Bible college and you were at the church there. Um, that I needed, to, you know, to marry somebody who wanted to actually, whoa, you know, be a wife and a mother. 
and that children are a blessing. I mean, all this was kind of new to me in that past year of learning a lot of stuff at Bible college and just thinking about it more and experience itself. And then you were right on that and you were agreed with that and wanted that. And so I realized this is, I've not met and just talked to any girl that really wanted to be a mom. Mm-hmm. And, you know, yeah, like I, I, a wife, a housewife, and to really, um, I don't know, you know, glorify God. You knew at that point that I wanted to be a pastor. Yeah. You knew already the things that I was desiring and pursuing. Mm-hmm. You also knew how little money I had mm-hmm. <laughs> and... Um, you know, that we were really starting at square one. Mm-hmm. Um, but I hope and think that because I had a plan and a purpose and a goal and a destination and a way to get there, um, that was encouraging to you. Yeah. <laughs> and certainly your willingness to, to hitch yourself to my wagon, if you will, <laughs> was very encouraging to me. And so we met in like May of 2012. We're engaged well, started dating like July 4th, yeah. I think, of 2012. Yeah. We're engaged of October of 2012. And then we're married in December, December 14th. Yeah. So in the span of like, you know, seven months from meeting <laughs> to marriage. And there's been no looking back. Mm-hmm. I think I can't hardly even think of life before I was married and had kids yeah. at this point. It's I just know. completely different. But I, I, I wouldn't trade it for the world. It's yeah. been a tremendous blessing. And I love you. <laughs> and I love all of our children. And... Being married with this many children and working is is completely consuming. Yes. But I I you you want to be consumed with something that matters. Yeah. And raising children and the covenant promises to your children and the heritage that children are from the Lord. There's nothing better. Yeah. There's nothing better and there's nothing more glorious. And so the Christian family is really the most important thing. Yeah. And, um, yeah, well, I enjoyed going through this book with everybody. I enjoyed reading it with my wife. And I hope you read it on your own, too. And read it with your wife or your future wife or whatever. And have children and, and, and glorify God in, in all that you do as you seek first his kingdom and righteousness. God bless. And until, I guess, another book review or something like that, we're signing off. <laughs>